0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. And I wanted to make sure that we actually did speak about the Feast of Tabernacles today. Deuteronomy 16, and look at this command in verse 13. Deuteronomy 16, verse 13, you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after you have gathered in your corn and your wine. So that's the the tithe. And thou shalt rejoice in your feast. That is an imperative. That is a command. You shall rejoice. So it's it's right for us to be in this festival frame of mind and to be excited about the feast. It, It is the highlight of our year. Seven days. "...that we shall rejoice in our feast, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within your gates." So everybody that you have responsibility for, go to the feast, seven days, rejoice. Seven days you shall keep a solemn feast unto the Lord your God in the place which the Lord shall choose." Because the Lord your God shall bless you in all your increase and in all the works of your hands. Therefore, you shall surely rejoice. So you shall rejoice is the command. And then God confirms it saying, we shall surely rejoice. We brethren, especially now, 2015, the state that the world is in. And there's so much confusion. So few So few, precious few, understand what we understand. And we are going to the feast to have that understanding reinforced. We should certainly rejoice. While we know these holy days from creation, established by God, this is God's time, this is a highlight of the year for us. Look at chapter 14. And just let's... Combine these two commands about the feast. So the first one is we shall surely rejoice. Look at chapter 14 and verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your seed that the field brings forth year by year. So this was an agricultural society and that's how they had increase. And they were to truly tithe. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose to place his name. So we shall feast where he places his name. The tithe of your corn and of your wine and of your oil. The firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. Why should we have this festival for seven days in the place that the Lord, where the Lord shall choose? That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So this is the purpose of the feast. We're going there for seven days. It's sort of this immersion that we'll be there for seven days Then the last great day. And what's the purpose? So that we may learn to fear the Lord, our God, always. So we're going to combine this. We, we, we've got to learn to fear God, but we've got to do that in a framework of rejoicing. And if you ask anybody who is involved in adult learning, they will tell you, We learn best when we're in a happy frame of mind. So anybody who's instructing adults needs to make sure that it's a a positive environment and and the learning is then embedded much more deeply. And so we're going to the feast to learn to fear God. We need to do it in a spirit of joy. And that's a command. Do it in a spirit of joy. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. So we have to have this festival frame of mind. Go to the feast with this spirit of joy. And there we're going to truly understand what it is to to fear God always. But look at 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. Not everybody understands this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them so we understand not everybody understands we're going to the feast to learn to fear god but there's another god there is a god of this world look at ephesians 2 ephesians 2 and let's see the activity of the god of this world Ephesians 2 and verse 1, And you, has he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So we see the God of this world is the chief of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So we put two and two together. First, we're going to the feast to learn to fear the true God. We need to do that in a spirit of rejoicing. Second, there's another God. There's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. So he is able to function with his control over the air. And he uses that control to control the children of disobedience. So there are people who are not keeping the feast. They don't know about God's laws. And he works in them. If we put two and two together, is it a stretch of the imagination to say that Satan, working in the children of disobedience, is going to try to disrupt your joy? He's going to try to take you out of this festival frame of mind and put you in a frame of mind of sadness, upset, aggravation, frustration. And then you go to the feast in this aggravated mindset. And you're not able to receive the lessons and the learning that are going to be deeply embedded in you. You're not going to be able to go there in a spirit of joy and fellowship with the brethren and and create new relationships because you're not in a festival frame of mind. Philippians 4. Sorry, let's first go to Daniel 12. So the first point, brethren, is as we are on our way to the feast... As we interact with people in this world, let's realize we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, the people who are attacking you, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. There's a prince of the power of the air, and he works in the children of disobedience. So we have to see beyond this. It's okay. I'm not going to allow a human being to take me out of a festival frame of mind. I am going to the feast to rejoice, I'm going to the feast to be with my brethren and enjoy like-minded individuals who also want to learn to fear the true God. But, brethren, it's not just the children of disobedience that will take us out of a festival frame of mind. Look at Daniel 12. Daniel 12. So we have children of the world, under the influence of the devil, who are going to work to try to disrupt our... Festival frame of mind, we're not going to return evil for evil. We're checking in at the hotel or whatever we're doing and somebody's rude to us, we're going to bless. We're going to return good for evil. And just make that a a commitment. I'm going to the feast to rejoice. No one's taking me out of this festival frame of mind. But look at Daniel 12. Daniel 12 and verse 2. Speaking of the time uh, just ahead of us, not long now, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth. So, so there are billions of people that are sleeping in the dust of the earth. In the near future, they're going to wake up. Many of them, not, not all of them at once. God has a sequence. But many of them, the majority are going to wake up at a certain time. Some to everlasting life. So this is now the resurrection to everlasting life. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. That is profound. I I really wish I didn't have to read that. So coming out of the dust of the ground, some are going to wake up to everlasting life. But coming out of the dust of the ground, asleep now, or very soon, are going to be Human beings coming out of the dust of the ground and going into, the scripture says, everlasting contempt. We serve a God of of love. There is no way that God is going to resurrect a pygmy in the middle of Africa who's never heard the word Jesus Christ and resurrect him to everlasting contempt. These people who are resurrected to everlasting contempt are people who knew the truth, received the Holy Spirit, and rejected it. And God is just and right to resurrect them to everlasting contempt. They've brought it on themselves. The reality, brethren, I wish I didn't have to say this. The reality is, some people who fit this phrase, coming out of the earth into shame and everlasting contempt, are in the church, or were in the church. But they certainly knew Jesus Christ, and they certainly received his Holy Spirit. So if we're to be mature about this, we can't be surprised if today there are brethren in the church who have the Holy Spirit who are not fully in the program. And as a result, they allow Satan to operate within them. And as a result, they can disrupt your feast. In other words, our own brethren can knock us out of a festival frame of mind if we're not careful. So both within and without... We have to be committed to rejoice. And whether the offense comes from outside the church and we return good for evil or even within the church, we return good for evil. We are here not to criticize, not to condemn. So if we go to the festival and we see brethren behaving poorly, it's not for us just to sit and complain and condemn. Look at verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. This is our destiny, if we are wise. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This is our function. It's to turn many to righteousness. This many doesn't just mean people who are completely in darkness, and we take the gospel to them, and they turn around. This many includes... Brethren who understand the truth but are not living up to it. And out of mercy, out of compassion, we're, we're, we're that brother or sister that pulls the brother or sister out of the fire. Right? We have that much compassion. And we're not, we don't condemn, we contribute. So we see somebody not quite living up to the standard of Jesus Christ, we have love for them. We realize I've got to set the example, I've got to inspire them. I've got to turn them to righteousness. Turning people to righteousness, turning many to righteousness means it's not a hobby. This is not something we do part-time. Oh, I think today I'll turn somebody to righteousness. This means it's it's who we are. This is full-time, all the time, everywhere, everybody. Seeing who we might save. That by any means we might save some. Let's conclude, brethren, in Philippians 4. So let's just really set our minds, brethren, and look at the example of the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4 and verse 10. He says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. The command for us is to rejoice, and to rejoice in the Lord greatly. So when we understand what we're a part of, when we can see the future, we rejoice greatly. And, and all, anything we go through in this life, it's just a, a temporary inconvenience on our way to God's kingdom. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at the last your care of me has flourished again. So he's speaking to the Philippian brethren, and they're able to care for him again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So there was a time when he wasn't getting support from them, but now he's getting it again. But notice verse eleven. Not that I speak in respect of want. I'm not I'm not saying this so that you know that I need something and you can give me more. No for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whatever happens, I'm in a festival frame of mind, I'm in a kingdom frame of mind. Whatever happens, I'm content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound. And to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ, which which strengthens me. And I think, brethren, this is the example that we want to follow. That we realize we have an enemy. God wants to bring us together as a temporary congregation. And whatever that configuration is, wherever we go, to rejoice and to learn to fear God. Satan doesn't want that. Of the billions of people on the planet, very few understand what we understand. He's going to do everything he can to knock us out of a festival frame of mind. We must do everything we can to rejoice, rejoice greatly, and learn to fear our God always.